All right, so we are in the middle of a series. Well, we're at the beginning of a series, I guess. Last week, Mark started it. We are talking about the seven pillars of our church and what our church culture at Impact Rock is, what it should be, what we want it to be. Obviously, there's areas we can grow, and there's things that we're doing really well. To be honest, all of these things should be the church culture of any biblical church. They're not the only ones. These are just the seven that we particularly think are good and, and right for what God is speaking for us in this time. Um, last week, Mark spoke on love and generosity. He did two in one week. That's pretty impressive. Whoop, whoop. Today, we're going to talk about presence. And then the following upcoming weeks, we're going to tackle discipleship, obedience, power, and salvation. So today, I get the opportunity to talk about an awesome topic, presence. When we were in our elders meeting, I'm like, I want that one. I was like interrupting. I want presence. That's awesome. So, um, so let's think about that presence, the presence of God. What does that look like? What does that feel like? How do we get to that place? Is it somewhere that we go? Is it something that we do? Is it something that we feel? All of those things. But the presence of God in this culture, in this house, in this local church, as believers, we should be in his presence. Communing with him is a relational relationship, right? It's God is a relational God. He doesn't just dictate and tell us what to do when we all walk around. It's a communion. It's a conversation. It's a relationship, right? So we're going to talk a lot about that today. So we're going to dive into a familiar story that we all know. It's in the book of John, John 4 to be exact, and it's about the Samaritan woman at the well. Anybody know that story? Yay. All right, so let's pray. We'll get started. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your presence. I thank you that we don't have to strive or jump through hoops or perform for you to say, I love you. You love, you, you love us because you love us, because you are God, and you are faithful, and you are good. God, I pray that we wouldn't hear my words today. We would hear your words in your heart. Lord, let us be open to receive whatever it is that you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. And I just want to take a second. If you're with us on Facebook Live today, thank you for coming. We are so excited. We pray that you would plug in and just press into what God has for you today. So thank you for being with us. All right, so let's dive in. So we are going to read a lot of scripture today because I feel like it's important not for me to just um, kind of give you the summary of the story, but to actually read the story. There are many times I grew up in church, there were many times I would hear a story and then I would go back and read it later in life and I'd be like, I missed all of that because I just got the overview or the kid's version, right, of the story. So we're going to actually read it scripture by scripture. And I want you to have a little bit of context. So before we start reading, I want you to understand the significance of Jesus' conversation with a Samaritan woman. So Samaritans were of mixed ethnicity and religion. They were not Jews, but they practiced elements of the Judaism religion, and they also worshipped other gods alongside of that. The Jews spitefully regarded the Samaritans as hated half-breeds. They did not like each other. The Samaritans and the Jews... They didn't like anything about each other. They wouldn't worship together. They didn't go to the well at the same time. It was very segregated, and there was a lot of animosity. Both the Jews and the Samaritans were hostile towards each other, both in cultural and religious practices and also where they worshipped. All right, so here we go. The woman at the well, that's what we know this story as. John 4, verse 5, we're going to read through 30. We're going to um, skip a little chunk, 31 through 38, because it doesn't totally apply to today, what I want to share, and then we'll pick it up 39 through 42. All right, verse 1. 
Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is ground to Joseph, his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Verse 7. A woman of Samaria, Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. When the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself? And as well his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you are with now is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship. I who speak to you am he. Sorry. Verse 27. At this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he was talking to this woman, yet no one said... What do you seek, or why are you talking to her? The woman had left her water pot, went her way to the city, and then said to the men, Come see a man who told me all things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. We're going to skip down to verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word this woman had and testified. He told me that I... Um, He told me everything I ever knew. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with him, and they stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Did you learn anything new that you didn't notice before? I love that story. So we're going to tackle a few things. We're going to kind of break this down in chunks. When we go through the story, I want you to be thinking about how does this apply to me 
How do I talk to Jesus? When Jesus encounters me and I encounter him, what is that dialogue? What is that feeling? What is he saying? And maybe you're like, I don't talk to God. Fair enough. But what if you did? What if he wants to talk to you? What would he say? So who is this Samaritan woman? She was a woman, obviously, who lived in Samaria. In verse 18, it said that she had been married five times and was currently with a man who was not her husband at that time. So before you go thinking she was a harlot, I need you to know about a couple of things. In this day and time, a woman could not initiate divorce except in extremely rare situations. The Samaritan woman, the five former husbands, must have either divorced her or must have died. This was disastrous for her because they relied very much on the patriarchal form. And so when without a husband, that caused her a lot of problems in society and caused her to be kind of lower looked down on. Does that make sense? She probably experienced that, being rejected, being looked down on, um, being talked about. Anybody been talked about before? That's rough, right? And everybody's talking and you're like, I'm right here. Right? So everyone's talking about her. That's, so she's living, I, I don't know if you can kind of picture like a cloak. Have you ever felt shame? And it's kind of a cloak that's just kind of heavy and it causes you to kind of keep your head down and you're not really looking up. You're not really feeling confident or happy. You're not really pursuing the things because that shame is just, it's heavy, right? She was isolated, probably felt hurt and judged by others. And who knows what these relationships were like? We can only guess. So in verse 6, it says that she went to the well at the sixth hour. Well, this is interesting because the women did not go to the well at the sixth hour. That would be kind of the middle of the day when it's hot and sunny and they went at dawn and dusk, okay? So it's an odd time for her to go to the well. And it says in verse 15 that she went regularly to the well at this time. So my guess is she probably went at this time to avoid seeing all the other ladies. It was the women who went to the well to catch the water. Anybody ever done that? You're like, yeah, and I'm going to King Supers on this day because that's when all those other moms in the yoga pants are there. Or I'm going to do this at this time because then I don't have to see that person and have a conversation about this. Or whatever. We, we find ways to isolate. We find ways to segregate in hopes of protecting ourselves, but we're actually isolating ourselves from others, right? So that's what she's doing here at the well. Don't you think it's interesting that even though Jesus knows all things, he knows about this woman, but he divinely, intentionally came through Samaria. If you do the history, they didn't, they didn't have to go that way. They chose to go that way. It was actually a longer way. And they go through Samaria, and Jesus lands at this well on this day with this woman. Have you ever found those times in your life where you encounter God on that place on that day? when it's just you and God. He's awesome at that. Sometimes we miss it. If you're not listening, sometimes we miss it, but he is very intentional about this. Timing, location, details. God eats that stuff for breakfast, man. He loves the details. He loves to be with us. So I love that he met this woman at this time. Think about Jesus, you guys. He was constantly with the disciples. People were constantly flocking to him. People were constantly around him to the point he'd have to escape up to a mountain or escape out on a boat on the water. And here he is at this random time with this random woman at this well. 
So starting in verse 7, Jesus engages the Samaritan woman. He starts by asking for a drink. This was significant for two reasons. One, she was a Samaritan. They didn't have conversations, Jews and Samaritans. They did not talk to each other. They did not play nice. And her gender presented an obstacle. Normally, Jewish men did not speak to women during the day in public. She tells Jesus in verse 9 that Jews have no dealings with Samaritans and wanted to know, why are you asking me for a drink? At this particular time, there were a lot of invisible lines in the sand. Cultural lines, religious lines, ethnic lines, gender lines. There were all sorts of things that were the rules, if you will, of this well and of of the times. Did Did Jesus care about any of those things? Did he say, oh, I can't talk to her because she's a Samaritan. I'm a Jew. Oh, I can't, I can't go there. She's a one. Like, he cared about her soul. And he was like, I'm going to touch her. I'm going to speak life to her right now. We put him in these boundaries, right? Our traditions, our culture, our, our fear, our, and we create all these boundaries. And then we're like, God, why aren't you meeting me? And he's like, well, you've put all these rules, right? But he's like, let's just, he doesn't care about those things. He's like, you, you're the one your heart, right? Heart to heart. I love that Jesus was engaging her in this moment, right in the middle of her boring, mundane life. Anybody have those days? Get up, get dressed, go to work, get home, go to bed, get up, right? So part of her day was at noon. During the midday, she would go to this well. That was part of her boring routine. But on that particular day, it wasn't like the other days. God met her right where she was, right in the mundane. If you're a stay-at-home mom, it's doing the dishes and changing dirty diapers, doing laundry. If you're a businessman, it's in another meeting. It's sorting through email. If you're a student, it's in science class. It's doing homework. It's going to soccer practice. It's all of those things. They're mundane. They're our life. God can come in just an instant, right? I like to call this relational presence. When I think about his presence... It's relational. It's a two-way. Sometimes we're listening. Sometimes we're talking. Sometimes we're thinking. Sometimes we're pondering. Sometimes we're crying. Sometimes we're repenting. And the whole time we're communing with God. If we see God as this guy who's just down speaking and unloading orders and pointing his finger and judging us, it's not relational then because we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And that's not who he is. Sometimes we think that's who he is, but that's not who he is. But I love in this story when he says, oh, yeah, you have five husbands. I used to think, good Lord, like, that's rude. Oh, I know who you are. You had five husbands, and the one you're with isn't even your husband now. Like, thanks, Jesus. That's awesome. He wasn't doing that. He wanted her to know, we've never seen each other, and I know you. I see you. And I'm not going to let all of those things stop me. I'm still going to engage. I'm still going to speak life. I'm still going to choose you. You might not have had five husbands. You, you have something else. We all have stuff. We all have sin and shame and all sorts of things, right? And Jesus isn't pointing his finger and saying, I know about you. He's like, I got you. I know. So, the next section, I titled it, Jesus Prophesies and Speaks Life. So this is the part of the story that I think is so beautiful. This is the dialogue between Jesus and the woman. 
verse 10, it says, after she tells him that Jews and Samaritans don't have dealings, Jesus says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. At this point, she has no understanding of who he is. And he's simply some man at the well who's asking her questions. So watch for her shift here. Verse 13 and 14. Jesus begins to prophesy and says, Whoever drinks from this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. I'd be like, what? Wait a second. Something just happened, right? He went from the natural. If you drink from that water, you're going to be thirsty again. Well, yeah. And then he starts talking about this other water that will be, you will not thirst from, and it will spring up, and it will give you everlasting life. I'd be like, okay, hold up here. This weird guy shows up at the well that I come to every day, and now he's, like, talking about weird things, like living water. So then you see a shift in her response. So again, they're dialoguing, right? So verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. So something switched. She recognized what he was saying enough to believe it's true enough to say, give me this water. So he, Jesus asked her for water, and then what happened? It switched, and then, he, then she's the one saying, give me this water. Often we go to God and say, this is what I need. And he's like, this is what you need. We're like, God, give me this. And he's like, I got it. It's the other way around, right? So the dialogue continues. And she goes um, to call her He says, go call your husband. She didn't have a husband. So Jesus knows our story. Why do we hide our story from God? I get why we hide our story sometimes from others. People are mean. They're hurtful. We're full of shame. We don't want to, you know, I get that. But when it comes to our father, he already knows. And we're like, nope, nothing here. Nothing to see here. He knows our story, you guys. He knows our details. He knows the victories. He knows the pain. He already knows. So in verse 19, the woman perceives that he's a prophet. I like that part. I perceive that you're a prophet. Well, yeah. So here Jesus speaks on worship. I love to worship, so I love this. I have, I have quoted this scripture for decades. Like, I just love this scripture. We all probably know it. So it says, But the hour is coming when the true worshipers will worship the Father in what? Spirit and truth. For God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Right? A lot of us know that scripture. Be stinking awesome truth. Where are his disciples? Where are the masses? Where are the religious people? Where's the microphone? Where's, you know, it's just this random woman on a random day, and Jesus begins to unfold this scripture that we love and live by. So he tells her that. She is a woman. She is a Jew. She's a Samaritan. She had five husbands. She's with another one who's not her husband. She is not a disciple. She is not a follower. She doesn't know who he is. She's looked down by her peers, has to go to the well during the day. Do you get where I'm going with this? Why her? 
unbelievable revel, uh, revelation, almost said revolution, revelation that he's like pouring out to this random person. So why when God speaks to us, do we question it? Well, I'm just so-and-so from Erie, Colorado. I'm just this guy who runs a business. I'm only 15. Must not have been God. Why would God tell me something like that? Because he's not a respecter of persons. He pours himself out to all of us. So this is who Jesus chooses to reveal his truth to, this obscure woman on this obscure afternoon with no one else there. Our God is constantly willing and wanting to tell us things, right? We just have to be available. So the last chunk we're going to go through is the Samaritan shares Jesus. I love this part. So um, the woman leaves there, the Samaritan woman leaves there, and she runs to the town. And she's like, come, see a man who told me all things I ever did. She doesn't care that she was just at the well during the day. She doesn't care that it might look a little crazy because some guy at the well is, like, talking about living water, and the guy at the well is not a Samaritan, right? All of that's gone. All she knows is, I just encountered this guy who could be the Christ. So she's like, come, come. Come see this man that told me all the things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? So then they all came. And here's the cool thing. They encountered Jesus. One of the scriptures says they believed because of what she said. And did you notice in verse 42 at the very end, it says they believed because they heard and they saw. So the awesome thing about when we're in his presence and we encounter God is that we're not supposed to just hold it to ourselves. Right? We are supposed to go make disciples. We are supposed to go share the good news. We are supposed to go and tell others, because guess what? God is faithful. You don't have to convince everybody. Mark always says, if I convince you in, if I could convince you into being a Christian by saying a prayer and giving your life to Christ, somebody else can convince you out of it. If I can talk you into it, somebody's going to come along and talk you out of it, right? So the good news is when you share, hey, here's what I experienced. I'm just a Samaritan woman at the well. I experienced this guy. His name is Jesus. He told me about this living water. I think he's the Christ. She goes and tells. Those people come and look, and they're like, you're right. Then they encounter him, and they're like, I met this guy, Jesus. He's the Christ. And then they go tell people, do you see what I'm saying? That's the multiplication. And if you read the New Testament, that is how the church just lit up. Because every person took the gospel, they took the message, and they shared, 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 and they shared. God is not a God of addition. He's the God of multiplication. And so how does this apply to you? On some obscure day, in an obscure place, God is going to talk to you. It might be in your car. It might be on a good day. It might be on a bad day. My guess is you'll probably be alone. And he's going to speak to you. He's going to touch your heart. He's going to remind you of a scripture. He's going to tell you, I love you. He's going to say, it's going to be okay. And here's what else is going to happen. The enemy is going to try to rob you of that seed shortly after. Well, that wasn't God. God doesn't care about you. You're just Chris. You just run a carpet cleaning business. Like, why would God tell you that? You're a wreck. Look at your life. You better sort all that out before you serve God. I mean, right? The lies. It's like a barrage because he's going to try to steal that seed. 
But I'm telling you, the most powerful moments in my life have been when it's me and God in an obscure moment, in an obscure day, and God, boom, spoke, touched, healed, showed me something, opened my eyes, opened my heart. One of my favorite things that God has ever done, I was on a bike ride a couple years ago in the middle of summer, and I was working through some stuff. So I get on my bike, and I blast my earbuds, and pray that no one hits me because I'm not paying attention, and I, I go. And I don't know how long I'll be gone. My family will be like, when are you going to come back? And I'm like, I don't know. When my legs are about to fall off, I'll come up the driveway. And I just went. And I was just processing and just riding my bike. And out of nowhere, it was like a movie where it slows down. And I heard God say, relinquish control. You guys don't have a problem with that, huh? I know. Two words. And I was like, whoa. Okay, out of all the things God could have said to me, I was like, Okay, but I knew it was him. Didn't sound super spiritual, and I'm like, okay, I can be controlling. I like to have everything a certain way. So I was like, okay, I knew it. Those two words have carried me and my family for two years, relinquish control. But it wasn't necessarily the words as much as it was that God encountered me. He told me something that I needed to know. Just like the woman at the well, she needed to know I am the one with living water. You will never thirst again, right? So it doesn't have to be some super spiritual thing. God just speaks, and when he speaks, it's detailed, it's personal, it's kind, it's usually prophetic. Did you notice when God started prophesying to the woman, and it wasn't just like, hey, I'm thirsty, get me a drink, who are you, why are you talking to me? When it shifted and he started to prophesy about the water being living, it shifted, when God begins to prophesy and begin to speak in the spirit, something shifts. And guess what? Our heart should leap and we should go, <gasps> he's up to something, right? He's up to something. So in closing, here are the things that I want you to remember. Number one, Jesus alone is your living water that fills your void. Jesus alone. Can we say that? Jesus alone. It's not Jesus. We talk about this a lot. It's not Jesus plus anything, and it's not Jesus minus anything. It's not Jesus in the Bible, except for those parts that don't feel good. It's not Jesus plus my good works and plus my great ideas, because I'm awesome. It's just Jesus alone. Number two, Jesus is not phased by our sin our story, those lines that we talked about, the cultural lines, ethnic lines, gender lines, religious lines, all the boxes, all the things, all the walls, we all have them, right? He's not phased by that. Number three, Jesus sees you and meets you right where you are. That might be one of my favorite points of today. Jesus sees you. I think we all kind of feel that at the end of the day. Like, nobody really sees me. Nobody really knows me. I spend all this time with coworkers or even my spouse or my kids or my friends, but nobody knows this stuff. We have hurts, we have pains, we have insecurities, we have thoughts. Some of us think up to 330 hundred thoughts a day. Guess what? 
God knows every one of those thoughts. I want you to hear that today. He sees you. He sees your pain. He sees your victory. He knows your heart. He knows when you're up against that wall and you're like, dang it. I'm up against this freaking wall again. And you're so frustrated, you just want to throw in the towel and be like, Jesus, could you just take me home? I'm done. It's hard. Right? And he sees you. Number four. When you encounter Jesus, there's a million things you can do. Invite. Invite him in. Engage with him. Ask questions. Did you know the Samaritan woman wasn't like, she was real. She was like, who are you? Why are you talking to me? Like, why do you, you know what I mean? There was like dialogue there. Some of my best times with the Lord are when I'm like, this sucks. I don't understand. I'm so mad. I'm mad at you. I'm mad at so-and-so and I'm mad at the situation. He is not threatened by that. I'm respectful. I love Jesus, but I can also be raw and real. He's not afraid. He wants my heart. He doesn't want my, oh, Jesus, bless this day, bless my lunch, bless Marie. Everything's great. He wants the raw and the real. Because that's where he meets us. He knows, right? So partake, believe, engage. If you're like, oh, I wonder if God's speaking to me. Maybe you're going to be in your car this week. Or in the middle, I was having the best conversation with my friend, Vanessa. It was Jody who was here a couple weeks ago, his wife, years ago. We were talking about, for introverts, it's so hard to be called a ministry. I'm not an introvert, but she's an introvert. But she was saying how hard it is for her. She could be in a church with hundreds of people or at a retreat. And it's just hard because she's like, oh, I have to put on my game face and I got to do this. And, and she said, and then the Lord told me, I'm with you. You're not alone. It's not you and them. It's us. And she said, ever since the Lord kind of spoke that to her, she's like, I got this. Right? He's with us. He sees us. So engage with him. Number five, once you are in his presence, could you go share it? Could you get past yourself and tell somebody? We all have to get past ourselves, right? What if they think it's stupid? What if they think I'm super religious? What if they you know, shut me down? What if they say I'm crazy? So, what if? They're probably already saying that anyways. But what if you're right? What if God is real? What if he does want to speak to you? What if that coworker at nighttime is crying out going, if there's a God, please speak to me. I'm desperate. And you're like, I don't want to share. They're going to think I'm stupid. What if you're the one who's like, hey, man, I don't know what you're going through. I have experienced God and his goodness, and I just wanted you to know I'm praying for you. Right? Share the good news. Share the good news. I think one of the most powerful things that we have is our testimony. We've got scripture. We've got all these tools. Gosh, we live in the age of information. We have everything at our fingertips, right? It's on our phone. we got it all. But your testimony People can't argue with that. They might not believe you. They might think you're crazy. I know that I know that I know that my God has met me more times than I can count, that he sees me, 
that he knows my thoughts. Psalm 139. He formed you in your mother's womb. He knitted you together. He knows the thoughts. Right? Wonderfully, you are made. I'm going to read this quote from J. Ryan Lister. He wrote a book called The Presence of God. He said, God himself comes to save. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he entered human history to give his life as a ransom for many. In his grace, God buys us back in the most unimaginable way possible. God in Christ became a man, walked among humanity, and died for his people. In this merciful act, Christ reconciles us to himself and reopens access to the Father so that those who were once exiled, me and you, who were once exiled from his presence, can come boldly. We can come right in and once again draw near to God. Would you guys stand with us? I'm just going to pray. If you could just put yourself in a posture of receiving, whether your hands are up or just your heart is ready and open. God, I thank you that you so amazingly sent your only son. And Jesus, you obediently listened. You so lovingly fulfilled what your father had asked. And God, I pray over this church in this season that we would encounter you in ways that we never imagined. That we would look for it. That we would carve out time for it. That on our bike rides, in our karate classes, in our meetings, in our long drives running kids around, or our quiet mornings, that instead of doing other things, we would carve out time and say, Jesus, I want to meet with you. Would you speak to me? Can I dialogue with you? Can I tell you some things? And can you tell me some things? God, I thank you that you are faithful. That there are many hearts on Facebook. There are many hearts here this morning. And we have questions. We have insecurities. We have doubts and fears. We have anxieties. But God, I thank you that we can come to you. That you see us where we are. That you're not scared of our questions. And God, I pray that we would be a body of believers that are in your presence, that we dwell in your presence, that we go about our days in your presence. Like two besties, hand in hand, not going anywhere alone, side by side, in unity and in step with each other. God, let us know your heart. Let us know your ways. Lord, I pray over every heart in this place, every heart that's watching, God, that you would hold our hearts, that you would guard our hearts, that you would heal the broken places, and that we would experience the living water. We would experience you. If there's anybody this morning who doesn't know Jesus, but you would like to know Jesus with all eyes closed, would you just lift up your hand? I would like to pray with you. If you're like, I want to know this Jesus that you talk about. Would you just slip up your hand and I'm going to say a prayer. You can pray with me this morning. I'm going to go ahead and pray. If there's anyone on Facebook, 
the Bible says that you can pray and you can ask him to come into your life. So we're going to do that together. Would you just repeat after me, dear Jesus, I give you my life. I believe that you are the king of kings and that you died for my sins. This morning, on this obscure day, I give you my heart. I surrender to you. I repent of my wicked ways and ask that you would be the king of my heart from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to encourage you guys this week, today, at lunch, before you leave, God is going to encounter you. That's who he is. Can you imagine a parent who doesn't encounter their kids? I know there's bad parents out there, but I love my kids. They get so annoyed because I like tackle them and I kiss them and I'm always talking to them. And they're like, stop coming in my room. And I'm like, I just want to be with you. That's our daddy. He's just like, I just want to be with you. Probably not in a high squeaky voice, but he just wants to be with us. He, he wants to rub up against us. He wants to hold us. He wants to tell us things. He wants to hear about our details. You guys, he's good. So this week, encounter him. And if you're in a season where you feel like it's quiet, then make space. He will not let you down. Create space. Create time. Create a moment. Cry out to him. He will blow you away. He is faithful. Amen? Amen.